Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage, Johnson. There it is, there it is. Speaking of mileage, in a week here, or actually by the time this recording comes out, you would have made the mileage to come to Chicago. I would have. And we, yeah. we've done that a few times. We've done, we've done a, we've done it. I'm trying to think twice so far, right? Twice now. Yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah. We did two Chicago visits. Um, we did, I know we did some theme shows when we were here last. We did the like road trip movies, which was fun. Um, right. Well, we did those the first time we did Chicago movies, road time. trip movies, and some deep cuts like on Harrison Ford and Ron Williams. And then uh, we like banged like four episodes. And then last summer, we got the crowd together where we did Last Jedi and movies that make us cry. We also did an episode on Nope because That's right. I went and saw Nope at the Lagrange Cinema where I was staying with my family, and mm-hmm. and because this will come out well, Friday the thirtieth, the day Friday we're at the, the movie. Yeah, on my birthday, we are going to do kind of a Don and I and and one of my daughters we're going to go see Indiana Jones. Now he's already seen. He's already seen yeah. it, but I have not. I waited because I was like, I'm going to go on my birthday because yeah. not a lot of movies come out on June 30th, which is pretty cool. And then we're going to have kind of a perhaps an impromptu live mm-hmm. reaction uh, recording with that. But we're also going to be getting together with a lot of people in Chicago. It's going to be another Avengers Assemble with Hell even yes. more people this time, I think, than last no. time. So it's right. It's going to be great. Good things coming. And we've even got, why don't um, we can do this at the end of the show, but we also got yeah. some merch we've actually got merch we sure do yeah we'll talk about at the end i'll try to add that to the outro uh but anyway for this though ladies and gentlemen we're damn glad to have you and with indiana jones in the brain that's kind of what has us here so we're going to cover raiders of the lost ark the very first indiana jones film from director steven spielberg and producer george lucas and uh this is all for tantrum's sake we're passions and i five wash high fives wash away in place for hate no matter what we encourage you all to love what you love but for now the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on i don't think there's much of a fight over this one but i know we were talking off off microphone here a little bit about um where we kind of do the favorite versus best thing or at least you kind of reference i do the favorite versus best thing so we'll kind of see where this lands in terms of like how much we acknowledge the favorite part of it how much we acknowledge the best part of it but uh we'll each take our five interrupted minutes shower some praise state some high-minded cases we'll have a hater well i don't think that's going to happen here we'll follow with uh points of their own to kind of kind of Match up what we can say, say what we can do, and scorch a little earth along the way. After that, we'll open it up for about 30 minutes of shared conversation where the hiss of it really gets chippy. So um, I'll, be the, I'll be the floater that goes first, and sure. you're the ultra lover that goes second, because Indiana Jones is higher on the list for you. It is. So, no, um, for Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, this is a lead pipe lock, stone cold classic. It's just so stinking good where... I was listening to um, other podcasts and other people kind of talk about this in, in the last week, actually, where I was like, oh, I should kind of soak up some Indiana Jones stuff, especially with uh, seeing the movie. I will say this conversation out loud in my five minutes that I have seen The Dial of Destiny. Um, I caught it at a press screening out of town last week when I was on vacation where I snuck out and abandoned my family. Saw it in Washington, D.C. when I'm not in Chicago. But um, so it was nice to revisit the first one today. Um, just rewatched it today, in fact, on the time of this recording, just to kind of, yeah kind of i've been meaning to do a bit of rewatch but this is nice to kind of like like what will was kind of going to say like 
come from the beginning, meet us at the end. And by the time we do an episode on Dial of Destiny and I get to see the movie twice, I think that'll think a lot of things will come to fruition in my head a little bit. But um, just seeing this one um, as the kid, I'm trying to remember when I would have saw this. I, obviously, 1981, I was two. It wasn't going to happen then. Um, it would have been something on VHS later or recorded off television later and likely probably edited for television where it was some squeakier clean version of it than the S words and the, quite all the face melting and all that. But uh, I I definitely remember seeing it kind of in that, that, that home viewing kind of mode where um, it's probably the first movie if I have to think about it the way my kids think about it, it's probably the first movie that scared the shit out of me. Because when you're a kid and you don't know it's coming and you think, oh, it's PG's Indiana Jones. He's so popular. By the time I saw it, Temple Doom was probably already out and stuff like that, where um, by the time you're getting to snakes and Alfred Molina fucking spiked in a tunnel and um, yeah, and you end on face melting Nazis and folks where there's, I've, I completely, I'm realizing now as an adult, like how violent it was, at least as a kid. And I was the non-horror movie kid. I'm the, you know, squeaky clean on, you know, gravel road farm kid where I was going to watch this sort of thing, or I, I hadn't been braced for this sort of thing where I'm pretty sure that was one of those movies where my parents probably sat in front of me and said, ah, oh, this is going to entertain. It's going to be great. And I probably watched it with, you know, just snakes out of skeletons and cobras and, and all the things I just talked about. And I, I'm wondering, I have to ask my parents if this was the case, if this was a movie that I that probably gave me nightmares in a good mm-hmm. way. Where like I was, you know, it's thrilling, it's amazing, but I probably asked a thousand questions of where like, what happened to the guy with the propeller? What's all the red stuff? Like I was probably that <laughs> terribly innocent seeing this movie. Or like, what are they drinking? Why are they so why are they acting so funny when they drink? Danny, you sound like that when you drink. And like for who knows how many things I was like not ready for. Mm-hmm. at the time but the movie is so fucking entertaining that even if i was uh spellbound in fear it was captivating you couldn't take your eyes off it and um it, it's just so damn good and watching it now as an adult seeing how well it moves oh my goodness this movie's under two hours in a day and age where we're looking at so many blockbusters that just ring the towel for two and a half including the new one we're gonna see next week where there's something to how economically swift this movie is where, and you hear about the stories that, that Lucas and Spielberg got together about and cast and got together about like, you know, honoring serials, you know, 10 minute short little stories that you string together into being, you move from this move to that, a very episodic kind of thing. And the flow of that is, is incredible. I don't think you can go seven, eight minutes in this movie without jumping into one more kinetic thing. And likely so that this movie's been aped by a fat maybe not like the specifics of like treasure hunting and whatnot i mean i know we have our alan quartermain movies with richard chamberlain and we've got you know the mummy you know a generation later but like i think the thing that's been ripped off the most is like hey how you pace and time your action movies because i i just i can't name a lot of movies like doing the timeline cinephile thing i can't name movies before this and i can't name movies but i, I could certainly name a ton of movies after this that took the took the acceleration settings of this movie and made it their own where like hey we got to keep things moving or we got to make things interesting the same way like a romance novelist says like you know hey every 19 pages someone has to fuck um or else we don't have a very good romance novel like hey keep it moving so for this movie just to, uh, that's the thing i marvel about the most where before we get to characters before we get to content and the stuff we'll share in discussion i just uh, this is such a great visual and and big screen experience where i 
I'm trying to remember if I've seen this in the big screen over the over the years where I'm sure it was on some summer thing sometime where I'm like, I'm going to go see that. Or I'm trying, I don't know if they re-released these in time when Crystal Skull came out 14 years ago, but I think I've seen this on the big screen once and it was worth every penny because it just played so much louder, better, and and again, with that swiftness than it does um, than it does on VHS, you know, recorded off of ABC television or something like that. So, <laughs> um, but no that's my five minutes i can't there's the bell all right i gotta get my time in but um what this is a movie that i feel like final statement on the five here this is a movie that everybody needs to see fear or not grossness or not you know just where comfort level or not like this is a formative thing that everybody needs to see this is required blockbuster material like if you're going to talk this shit about all the stuff that you know the, the generations after talk about like oh this is the best this is the best shut the fuck up and watch this movie and see what really got things started. And you'll find out, I think with a smarter head, how most things we watch today, owe a huge debt to movies like this. So yeah. Well done. Well done. I'm actually going to start my five minutes by addressing some of the things that you said that I agree with. Um, Uh Oh, first off, no, I said, I agree. Um, uh, you know, the thing about, um, these Indiana Jones movies and the things about Spielberg at this time, I'd say everything from Jaws till, uh, you know, he kind of has this reputation as the squeaky clean, you know, uh, family values kind of director, even though <laughs> so many of his films are not that. Um, but especially, you know, from Jaws, you know, probably till maybe the color purple, uh, you know, he, some of his films, like if you just reframe them a different way or edit them just a notch differently, they're horror films. He's a fantastic suspense director. Incredible. Like there are sequences in E.T., Jaws, Close Encounters, this film, and most especially Temple of Doom that not only pushed the PG rating and, and technically did to the point where people were like, holy shit, we might need a new rating. Um, but you know, Spielberg is just fantastic at making these things that would scare the shit out of you, you know? And I, so I, I totally feel you on that because I kind of feel like that's something that movies kind of are missing. I hate to be like the, the old curmudgeon shouting at the clouds, but yeah, this is got one of those things where it, it feels like in today's day, if something's going to be scary, it has to be a horror film, you know, but I think people forget that like, you know, the, the, some of the greatest films of all time mix so many different genres together. And uh, this one is a perfect example of it's an action adventure film. It's, it's, it's a throwback to something of old, but it also has these elements that, you know, uh, increase things like the terror and the tension and, the suspense and, and that's excellent. Um, so yeah, I, I, I totally understand um, what you're saying about this is probably the first film that scared you. I mean, I probably watched this probably when I was 10, same time I was watching stuff like Terminator two and things that, you know, scared the shit out of me, you know, because it just, they were not afraid to push boundaries on this stuff. Um, yeah. This one is um, currently uh in my top 100 it's currently number 20 but uh while i would i would say that the top 16 on my list are pretty immovable uh in terms of going down i think maybe one or two might be switched around in terms of stuff that i love but this one i could see going as high as 17 and just kind of intermixing with my other ones 
Uh, but this one's currently number 20 on my list and uh, well-deserved. And, and I like what we, what you brought up about, um, you know, best versus favorite. I'm generally not that person in like a lot of the times I know Don is, but I'm not, but for me, I think when it comes to franchise stuff, it's easy. For, it's easier for me to do better versus uh, favorite because, uh, like for, I think I mentioned this on a previous show. Like you know, the, like the Lethal Weapon franchise is one of my favorite franchises. Um, the best film is undoubtedly the first one. I mean, that's the best film. I mean, that's the best one that you would showcase as a movie. Movie, but is it my favorite one to watch? No, because I think that. Uh, there's certain factors that you get in sequels that I enjoy. And I would say the same thing for Indiana Jones. And and let me clarify real quick. This movie is called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I fucking can't stand this George Lucas thing that they do where they change the names of everything, just like in Star Wars. It's not Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It's called Star Wars. This movie is called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Deal with it. And uh, it's not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, no matter what Disney Plus tells you. Um, but no, I... Um, I think that this is definitely the pinnacle of the cinematic experience of the Indiana Jones franchise. Um, but I think, and Don probably agrees with me, like our favorites to watch, maybe because of the chemistry and the familiarity with the characters and kind of the fun that's being had that you can have when you're already established as a character. We, we kind of like Last Crusade better. Um, but that becomes down to a favorite. I mean, if if someone said pick one that truly represents film i would pick this one hands down because everything is going for it um you know and it was at a time when genre films were not being recognized that often uh this is this is one that took the world by storm not only in the box office but you know got a best picture nomination at the oscars it was a, a pretty pretty wild success on all fronts so uh yeah this is for sure an all-time, all-time, all-time classic, and I love it. Yeah, man, this is, yeah, it, it, we, could, we, could, we could probably do a three-hour show on this, but uh, for now, oh, yeah. let's take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler-free discussions? At Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, no information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. All right, welcome back. No, um, I, I'll piggyback. Um, I think on my top 100, I'm looking it up now. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is 28. Um, oh, Last nice. Crusade is 27. Bumping back to back. Oh, wow. I'm looking at, and I have to do what you're doing. I look at a few things ahead of it, and man, I yeah, I, there's kind of immovable favorites there. Where um, yeah, it's not it's not moving higher than that. Maybe it'll crack top 25. Something's got to slip, but um. But yeah, they, I, no, no shame in that. Um, I'm kind of with you. Where I'm playing the favorite versus best card a little bit. Yeah, I, I, it, it, you said it best. As an example of the genre or example of the medium of film, you, yeah, you have to point to this one. It's the historical watershed. It's the one that got us started. It's the one made with the $20 million of spit and glue and not sequels and big names and whatnot. Where um, Favorite-wise, though, yeah, and we'll talk about it if we ever have a show on it, but I'm sure it'll come up when we do our future show in Dial of Destiny. But uh, The Last Crusade, it's, it's that one just takes everything you love about it and just amplifies it a little bit more for just pure entertainment's value. And you're, you're on blockbuster level at that point where it knows what it is versus this one where it didn't know what it is and still made something incredible. So it's, it's just well, brilliant. What's 
And what's interesting is, um, so there's a quote, I got this from the IMDb trivia. Um, Steven Spielberg was quoted as saying, I made it as a B movie. I didn't see mm. the film as anything more than a better made version of the Republic series. So yeah, um, that is, that's pretty much on par with, I think a lot of Spielberg's filmography, especially early. So if you guys go to Letterboxd, you can see I, I put together a complete Steven Spielberg list. Um, I took out like television episodes, like stuff like that, but I, I included things like TV yeah. movies and stuff. And and before he had his motion picture debut with the Sugarland Express, he uh-huh. had done um, he had done one short film, but he also did three television films. One was a pilot; the other two were just television films. Um, uh, the first one was Duel. The second one was called Something Evil, which was kind of a straight up horror film. That mm. made- horror film uh and that came out uh, i'm trying to get the year on this one uh i don't have it in front of me uh let's see 1972 and okay. then he did a pilot with martin lando called 1973 in 1973 called savage which was about like a tv reporter who investigates stuff you know it's just kind of a but the amazing thing is is all three of those are very i would say and i don't mean this disrespectfully i just mean they're very stock storylines you know dual okay is, okay there's a guy on the road and he's being taunted by another car <laughs> you know true uh, something evil is this this lady moves into a, a a creepy estate and it could be haunted and then savage is like your standard investigative reporter gets in too deep you know very stock kind of stuff but when you watch these he mm-hmm. takes very stock things that literally anybody could direct and he right that early he adds so much flair and oh yeah and technical prowess to it that Very much so. it makes these things incredible to watch even if they're not that good like savage is not like an incredible like okay. like i i'm not i'm never gonna rewatch it like I, you know sure. what i mean it's not like but i just remember sitting there going like i i've never seen at least in terms of 70s, 80s, and 90s before TV changed a lot, you know, before the golden age of TV. I had never seen like stuff, he, the stuff he was doing, I'd never seen that before on television, you know, something evil too. It's like, it's like, God, this guy, he just didn't take the paycheck. He went in there and was like, You want me to make this film? I'm going to fucking make it and I'm going to make the hell out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, they're not great films by any chance, but you can see, I mean, well, Duel is excellent, but um, Duel is a four star for me, but. But yeah, that applies here with Indiana Jones. I think it applies with Jaws. It applies with Close Encounters. Uh, it applies with E.T. Um, and a lot of his films. It's just, you know, before he kind of went on this, um, like I said, I think around the time The Color Purple came out is when he kind of started getting a little bit more prestigious, so to speak, you know? And, I, um, yeah, I think the prestigious, bent, the, the the slant for me, I mean, it hits hard by the time you hit like Schindler's List ninety three. I mean, especially when you're you know yeah. doubling that with Jurassic Park, where mm-hmm. I, and I think from Schindler's List on, even if he makes a blockbuster, he still has a bit of prestige in mind. Where yes. I don't know if I can go as early as Color Purple, but a ninety three tipping point. Either way, because like even before Jurassic Park, he's still arachnophobia always. Like he's still, I don't want to say soft, but just not not full prestige. Like really gunning well, for an oscar I, bait I, shit 
I guess what I mean is, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying he always succeeds, but after Temple of Doom, I mean, he does Color Purple, uh-huh. Empire of the Sun, always, oh. and then he, he does do Last Crusade yeah. and Hook, and then then he has that double whammy in '93. Yeah, where he does and Jurassic he never looks back. Yeah, and and you kind of feel like at that point, I just kind of feel like he was, even if he failed, like in the case of Always, where it's it mm-hmm. just seems so saturated and and you know just. I don't know, melodramatic. Like he's still right. like going for something a little bit more highbrow. And I, I think that's I, I think what I what I mean by using those TV movie examples is anybody else would have taken Jaws, Close Encounters, Raiders, mm-hmm. E.T. or E.T. and yeah. just kind of made those run of the mill, you know, B grade movies, you know, without a lot of okay. imagination and scope. And I think you know, when he says that about Raiders, I mean, it is very true. Like, I, I we, we've seen the imitators try to make Raiders of the Lost Ark after the fact. And it's right. very clear it's an imitation because they don't have the imagination, the technical prowess. Yeah. But but the, the, the thing that makes it most impressive is that, and this is why Star Wars worked for so many people, too, is that it wasn't like he was trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to make the same thing that he watched as a kid that he loved as a kid right. but with modern technology, but he doesn't change the essence, the core of what makes those things work. And that's why I think this is such a success because yeah, there was a lot of serials, but no one talks about the serials. Everyone talks about what the serials in- inspired, which is star Wars and yeah. whatever. So it's, he, he's not trying too hard to do something, which I think he would eventually start to do. And you and I have just have talked about this in his later career up until for me, West Side Story. But, you know, between West Side Story and going backwards to Mm -hmm. maybe Munich. Yeah, it's the last time he went hard to me. Yeah, he kind of just though you and I both love Warhorse, but he just kind of it kind of felt like he was going prestige first. Yes. uh, And not getting to the heart of what makes these things. Yeah. So so good. This this feels so pure. This movie feels yeah. so pure. Raiders And is, I wonder yeah. And I wonder if that is how much of this is like I mean, I think you're right where a movie this special becomes this special because it has both facets of extremely good writing and material mm-hmm. that is created for it. And then what you're talking about with the Spielberg side is all that technical prowess, which is just off the charts. Cause I think we've seen some well-written good ideas that look like shit. And we've seen some Matt, you know, then we've seen some Michael Bay shit where there's some things that are off the wall spent, you know, spare no expense dollars that are just crap for story. So I, I, I think the unsung credit that I feel like a lot of people don't give this movie kind of has to go to, you know, Kaufman and Kasdan where we all know Lucas can make a zillion story ideas. <laughs> the guy can fill out cocktail napkins all day with story ideas. But for a guy like Kaufman, who is a legit writer to kind of come in and kind of hone this monster down. Um, and it sounds like cut and trim a lot of, and that's more where Kasdan comes in, but for Kaufman to kind of take these ideas and add like maybe some of that flair on paper in the and even the idea of just like um just more formative i don't want to try to say but just better details on paper than lucas and big ideas because lucas is all big ideas but the intricacies i think have to come from kaufman and then by the time lawrence kasdan shows up who's a legit filmmaker on his own right um and a solid writer in his own right for him to kind of come in and go hey this is all looking great this is all looking good but like 
hey, we still need to kind of trim this down under two hours to make this thing really sizzle. And uh, it sounds like Kazan's the guy, the guy who kind of came in to trim and refine this, you know, kind of, I think, I think if I remember correctly, like the minecart chase that kind of ended up in Temple of Doom was supposed to be kind of here, mm-hmm. you know, a few less things. Um, yeah, like I think even, well, I mean, I think the love story kind of also got trimmed a little bit by Kazdan, but it still moves like well, it you know, moves for really good well. Reason so. too, if you know yeah. some of the backstory on that, if, oh, I do. If people, yeah, if people don't know the history of that, it's. I think George Lucas was really set on making it like, like Harrison Ford or Indiana Jones, like fucked Ravenwood, like when she was like thirteen and he was like twenty six or something. And yeah, it's like, oh, I was wondering okay, that buddy. too. Yeah, it's yeah, okay, we were kids. The hints are still in the screenplay here yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but no um, the creativity of this is because I mean I've seen Alan Quarterman in the Lost City of Gold, you know the the knockoffs <laughs> that are with it, and like you can have fun, but like can it? But can it sound good and can it look good? And this is a movie where the best of both happens, and it's it's special. It's completely special. Well, I was I was looking through. I I'm kind of enjoying myself a little bit because you and I, you okay. know, we're not woke people. No. We're not cancel people. <laughs> no. Like we and uh and and while we are both very liberal, you know, sure. we there is kind of an old school liberalism to us where it's just kind of like, okay, guys, calm down. So I enjoy yeah. reading reviews for oh, all yeah. the Indiana Jones films because you'll find somebody in there that says something about, you know, he's a grave robber and he's stealing from indigenous people. But while I was reading, there was a reviewer named Josh Lewis, and he does say something that you just addressed that I thought was a great way to say it. He says it better than I could. So he says here, he said, the film uh, occupies a strange middle ground between silly, gleeful, highly specified throwback to pulpy B-movies and serials of Spielberg Lucas's youth and the technical machine-like template for what the broadest, most expensive blockbusters would look like for the mm. next nearly 40 years and counting. Yeah. And I, but that's and I hindsight 2020 shit, you know, like oh, in the no, moment you don't see that coming. Oh, of course. But I'm just saying, I, I think that's a great way to put it because you said that so much is owed to this movie. And I think mm-hmm. that is the, that is the issue. You can see this with a lot of trends. Um, this a, is true. A, a common trend that I, I saw when I was a teenager was, you know, scream came out and, yeah. Yeah. and that influ- that had so many, Oh, I know what you did last summer. Also, Urban yeah. Legend, and the '90s what, glut of post-teen movies, post-teen right. horror and what, movies. And yeah. what they did is they took the elements they thought were appealing to the public and amplified those, and not the things right. that really made them a success. So, right, I like great way reviewer, of saying it. Yeah, I like what this reviewer has to say because it is kind of true. Like, and and, and actually, Spielberg would have this same effect on, um. Uh, war films, I think, was Saving Private Ryan because Agreed. even to this day, we still see films filmed like Saving Private Ryan, and yes. it drives me off the freaking wall because it's like it's not. It wasn't just how it looked that made that movie so effective. By the way, at number nineteen on my top one hundred, mm-hmm. right in front of Raiders Lost Ark. But um, no, I, I think it's yeah. a great way to look at it because yeah, people decided, and even to a degree, you could say Spielberg himself mm-hmm. tried to, you know, uh, do that with his own franchise i mean uh crystal yeah, skull in itself is is very much crystal skull is very much um a well, copy of it's it yeah. feels like it's i don't know how to explain it but it, it just no, kind of feels like 
an he imitation of an Indiana Jones film. It does. He, he knows the beats. Um, he's trying to address age and nostalgia. And I, I'm really trying not to use the word nostalgia a thousand times and everything I talk about with Indiana Jones. Sure. I'm happy to say I don't use it once in my Dollar Destiny review. But, but no, like you could tell Spielberg, paycheck or not, by that point in 2007 or whenever it was, um, he wants to use the new toys to, again, because that's something that Spielberg to the core is like how can i and it's not as simple as saying like a dude in his garage like how can i make this look cool he's that guy who's like how can i make this look the best or different or unique and Mm -hmm. and he is always from like you said from raiders to et to saving private ryan like he's always finding a different look and a different edge and a different way of uniquely creating and doing what he does so by the time we get to the the heavy cgi that is in Kenny with the crystal skull um that's him playing with new toys because he can and he's normally the best at it and i don't blame him for trying um to go back to reviewers i got one connor for you um and it's roger ebert uh roger ebert written in 81 seeing the movie his opening paragraphs are normally legendary here's his opening paragraph raiders of the lost ark is an out-of-body experience a movie of glorious imagination and breakneck speed that grabs you in the first shot hurdles you th- through a series of incredible adventures and deposits you back in reality two hours later, breathless, dizzy, wrung out, and with a silly grin on your face. This movie celebrates the stories we spent our adolescence searching for in the pulp magazine and pulp adventure magazines and in the novels of Edgar Rice Burroughs in comics, even in the movies. And like, he just nails it. Like a guy who lived in and breathed it in the moment and couldn't get enough, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say that, uh, with, um, Spielberg, we were talking about the latter day Spielberg. Like I was thinking about some of his more, some of those middling movies that have that adventure aspect. I was thinking about this today. I don't know why I was getting out of the car and I was thinking about okay. World, the war of the worlds. I don't know why, but I was Ooh, good. That's um, a good example to go on here. Cause but because there's some, there, mm-hmm. there are three moments in war of the worlds that show how powerful Spielberg can be when he really, yeah. really puts his like, cause there's some moments of like horrifying, like there's some terror in that movie. Oh, sure. Like, I, I remember there's one, there's one scene in particular where like people are trying to jump on the, the, the van that they're in. And one guy is just yeah. like hopelessly beating on the windows, blooding his hands, trying to open the windows. And there's some other sequences. I think there's a sequence where Tom Cruise has to kill Tim Robbins or something where oh, just absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. But then so much of the movie just feels so mm-hmm. like tropey and hitting all the beats you expect Spielberg to hit. Yeah. This That's is, a great example. That's a fantastic example where like you, and you said in moments he, he, he sharpens the edge. Um, even the, um, even the way he depicts the first arrival of, of the aliens, you know, starting to just dust people in that town. Obviously, everyone goes, oh, it's the Tom Cruise running scene. But it's also, you know, pretty efficient and pretty, you know, um, pretty heartless devastation created by Spielberg for a bit there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, and it's thrilling. I mean, we're too busy watching Tom run, but it it looks great. And it's it's the kind of body count Spielberg doesn't put into a movie. Um and then, yeah, you get to the Robbins part, which feels like a Hitchcockian thing, which he definitely doesn't get into many movies, or at least not often. But you're right. But by the time he balances that with, you know, save the day, good, you know, good guy stuff and this father son stuff, it, it, it does soften where the soften where it does get 
just I don't know stronger. And it's 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 a that's a great example of difficult balance with that guy. Yeah, and and this is the and I think the reason why is because we know what he can do with a movie yeah. like this, where he has that balance perfectly. Um, you know, we there's as would always be the case with something that uh, you know Lucas is involved with. Uh, there's some issues. I mean with uh chronology and things making sense because you know the next Eh, film the next film in this series would be temple of doom which is takes place before this yeah um i think one thing that makes um indiana jones the character so interesting is that he is uh, uh, that would become very popular especially in the 90s with stuff like the x-files where you have the believer and the skeptic you know Mm -hmm. like he's a very more of a science guy you know like he yeah. he makes he makes it very clear in raiders like well if you believe in that sort of thing yeah if you believe yeah. in that sort of thing and it's a bunch of mumbo jumbo and blah blah blah, yeah. blah which is weird because in the adventure like a year before this in the next film you know uh-huh. he had he witnesses like hearts being taken out oh, yeah. and and like like uh voodoo dolls like being performed oh, yeah. on him and like all kinds of mystical crazy shit that he cannot possibly deny I know. You know, but but yeah, so like of course, but it's all washed gonna... away. In well, again, again, it's a chronology. It doesn't doesn't hitch. Like I would never watch these in chronological order. Right, but what I will yeah. say, uh, what I will say though, having watched, because um, to prepare for this, I was just going to watch Raiders, and then I was like, you know what, I'm kind of in the mood. I watched Temple, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I'm going to watch Last Crusade again later tonight. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do like that, and you talk about good writing. Yeah, the, the easy thing for a sequel to this would have been to just kind of remake the same thing and not show a lot of growth. When they made when they made this one a prequel, the second mm-hmm. one, Temple of Doom, they did a really good job of showing the arc of the character because okay, it, it seems like in Raiders he is very dedicated to preserving things, yeah, like savoring them. And it's he's not in it for like money and stuff. Whereas right, in Temple right. of Doom, most of his motivations are fortune and glory, and mm, and okay. also he's he's very much like kind of a womanizer. He's calling everybody sweetheart and babe, and yeah. he's I mean he is still a little lascivious in, in Raiders. <laughs> but yes, he is. I would I would also say that's because he has a history with that woman. It's not like he's trying to impress her for the first time. Right. You know, they obviously have a history. But I do like that for a sequel, they went out and they said, well, not only are we going to make something different, because Temple of Doom is extremely different from this one. Yeah, it is. From Raiders. But they also decided, like, okay, this character ha- has some depth to him, that, and, and if it's going to take place before, he can't be the same character, and we've got to get him to where he would be, you mm. know, in okay. Raiders. And, I, and I, I was really impressed with that, having watched those back-to-back Um and I, I think you would only get that. I mean, you could watch them chronologically, I guess, and get the same effect. But I, I think that um, the sequel does a really good job of like a, a, a really good prequel. Um, you know, manages to make callbacks to the original stuff. Sure. Like, for example, like probably the the best sequence in this movie. I mean, there's so many good ones, but the, probably the most notable, like everyone has seen a clip of this, whether they've seen the film or not is the happy accident scene where Harrison Ford just shoots the guy, the sword guy, yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah. Uh, like temple of doom has a really cool 
throwback to that, even though it's a prequel, like where it, you know, kind of hints that maybe this is kind of Indiana Jones thing. Cause mm-hmm. in, Te- in temple of doom, there's two sword guys and he oh, reaches boy. for his gun and he goes, ah, shit, I don't have my gun. And he has to fight him, but it's just kind of a cool little character quirk there. But I, yeah. I think that, you know, um, and that, that's another thing about, you know, Spielberg. I mean, not only by mentioning those TV movies, I mentioned to you, uh, you know, not only did he have the technical prowess uh, that was evident, but you you have to realize, like, and I'm, I'm not saying this to you specifically, but just people in sure. general, there is so much luck involved in how these this things go. Because I mean, you look mm-hmm. at Jaws; Jaws yeah. would not be the movie it is if the fucking shark worked. You know, true. because if it if the shark show it worked, all movie wouldn't be scary. Was, yeah, it, yeah, and and the same thing goes for this. I mean, maybe not into the major degree. Of yeah. Jaws. But like, for example, that scene where he pulls the gun and just shoots the swordman, uh-huh. laugh out loud moment, completely hilarious, kind of unheroic in a way. Oh, very. But, but, but <laughs> in a very fun way, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was just because I think everybody on set had dysentery or something. I, or I've, I've heard poisoning. this as well. I've heard this and, as well. Yeah. And he like literally Harrison Ford was just too sick and tired, literally mm-hmm. sick and tired. <laughs> to, do, to do like the stunts required of the action sequence. So he just was like, guys, let me just shoot him with the gun. And it plays from cin- there. Yeah. It, it's cinematic. I mean, it is it's still genius. Cinematic. It's, yeah. it's just so fucking amazing. Like, I just, I've seen that a hundred times and I watched it today and just laughed my ass off. I was just like, this is, <laughs> right? you know, and to think that that was a happy accident on set, you know, and that becomes an iconic moment in film history. Mm hmm. It's just one of those lucky, happy accidents that makes these movies so gold, you know? I agree. Um, but let's talk I, about, I talked yeah, about the gun. Let's talk about violence a little bit in this one. You were talking yeah, about being scared, ahead. but this movie is fucking violent, like, for PG. I agree. No, um, the, obviously the tone is set in that opening scene with the, um, uh, with uh, in South America, right? Or I think they're in Brazil, Peru, someplace like that, yeah, right? Like and, that. Um, but no, I... I yeah, that opening scene between like just the obviously you've got these like corpses of people who've attempted to come into this you know room or tomb before, but then obviously what happens to Molina kind of just yeah sets the tone. You know, we're like, oh damn, oh, yeah. we're gonna go that hard with it, and uh, and then yeah, it just keeps continuing. Where you know um, you can see people get shot. This is definitely not one of those PG thirteen movies of bloodless violence. Like even when Indy gets shot in the truck trying to drive the arc away from Cairo. He, he takes it right to the arm. It sprays in the windshield a little bit. The, mm. the bad guy knows to punch his arm in return and starts to bloody his fist with his wound. Like it's, it's a visceral movie. And I think that it, again, like is part of this movie's appeal and edge is that it, you know, it, it's perilous enough uh, and, and realistic enough. You're like, damn, this could really get crazy here. And, and by the time we're Milton faces the end, it just all encapsulates that. But um, yeah, I, I think that's, um, I, and I, I speak of that saying it as a kid where, yeah, it was that rite of passage where easily this was the the hardest movie I saw for a long time um, in a good way. You know, um, I think it's a good formative, like, because I think what helps a lot as a kid, you know, I, and again, I don't know what age you put a kid through this, but um, but just um, you're watching it. I, I know where the liberals and people were saying we are, but we watch this with heroism in mind, like you're watching a man of action take a pull in and still keep on ticking like it, it's done in a in a heroic enough way where like no one's like hey kids this is why we don't have guns there's no psa's after this movie you know 
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. He kills a lot of people. Sure does. <laughs> and, and a lot of them, uh, you know, when he's killing Nazis, who cares? But, you know, there's right. some other, like, henchmen where you're like, man, did he deserve that? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it gets pretty, pretty hardcore. And I, and I, I enjoy that. I think that even in, um, uh, later editions, um, uh-huh. it, it lacks that punch of that extra peril. I mean, there's the guy getting eaten by ants, I think in crystal skull, yeah, but, but it's, other not, th- it's, it's ants. It's not Indy doing the killing. Like he, you yeah, know, but, it, I mean, that's disturbing. Sense, right? it's disturbing, it but otherwise it's just not kind of, no. So no, um, and um, I I know I'm not trying to jump this far ahead, but um, I'd be curious to hear what you think of the new one because like, it's now that you're doing this rewatch just to kind of like see, just um, and I think some of the visceralness goes goes to the pulpiness of where this stuff comes from, like the way Roger Ebert references Edgar Rice Burroughs. If you read a Tarzan book, it, it it's not a Disney movie. It's you know limbs getting ripped off it's animals and fighting in brawn and you know blood crimson across its forehead like the descriptive ways of violence are immense tarzan is a killer you know um really really good at it so yeah like um the the softening that has happened over the years some of it is age some is whatever you want to call it but uh um I'm, i'm happy this movie exists because it's yeah you just i don't know you get to see the best of him and he still puts a body count up in our favorite one in last crusade but it's it's a little again it's a little softer a little different i think the kills are more you know the glory kills of like a movie kind of kill but also the happenstance of well a guy just happened to fall into this and more of the ant variety like you talked about with christmas kill yeah yeah and that's it's interesting i i see a lot of memes like you know where it's like pg movies you know, back in the eighties versus it's that, it's that meme people use where it's like, like a, a nice little cute Labrador. And then it'll be next to like a huge <laughs> werewolf. And it'll say, yeah. like, you know, it, PG movies in the eighties versus PG movies today. And I, and I get that. I, I but I, sure. but there was also no alternative. It was either. Yes, this would have been, had, this would be PG 13 or there's there enough bloody violence where they would give this thing an R rating. No, there is this, a, there is a headshot. At one I point, know. there's and there's a lot of like you know people. Well, I mean, the face melting is pretty brutal. Well, yeah, let me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I as a parent, I like to use common sense media and like their little like age recommendations. Or as a teacher, mm-hmm. I do the same. So let me look up Raiders of Lost Ark here. You keep thinking your thought here. Well, I wanted to ask you a question because yeah. I know that you know me. I'm I'm an atheist. I'm not like the most religious person in the world. I'm probably yeah. more like an Indiana Jones. I'm more of a you know, a skeptic uh, than anything else. Um, what do you think? I, I have <laughs> yeah. to say there's a little bit of a mixed message for me uh, <laughs> Go on uh, with, with, with the ending because okay. it's, it's kind of like, okay, you've got this Ark of the Covenant, which has the Ten Commandments in it, right? Right. And one of the perspectives is that like, okay, this is the, I think B- Balak, uh, Belloc says that it's like, a, you know, a, communication straight to God or whatever. Mm, uh-huh. uh, and then, but there's also the thing on the, uh, the amulet or whatever that they use to find the art that says, yeah, like, stay, away, stay away from it. Oh and, yeah. And uh, I do. Well, first of all, there's a beautiful sense of irony to it because part of them opening the arc and one of the Nazi guys says it is like, 
I'm not too I'm not too uh, happy about having to do a Jewish ritual, yeah. which I thought was pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. And then you know, Belloc has to dress up in this very ancient Jewish, oh, I know. you know, garb. So I found uh-huh. that irony kind of funny, uh, but also like the the theory seems to be that uh, uh, you open the ark, you're gonna get fucking destroyed. No by- way horrifying like demon angels like what is yeah. what is up with the ark man like what are they trying to say here i don't I know just, i'm so it, confused it's a left turn um and and that's where um that's where it just gets and and i uh, you're gonna hear a lot of reviews here well we've heard them already for king of christmas skull you're gonna hear them again with dial of destiny where mm-hmm. the MacGuffin, so to speak mm-hmm. is it's they're getting crazier as they go. Now, I, I think the aliens and the crystal skull thing put a bad taste in everybody's mouth because, you know, the, you people can use the jumping the shark term and things like that, where by the time okay. you're doing like fucking aliens, it, it just gets, you know, it, and by the time you also varnish it in a zillion visual effects where it just feels really, really fake mm-hmm. that um, despite, you know, the bad crude, so, you know, CGI slash visual effects in this movie of demon angels. I have to, I'm trying to slow down and realize that we've had the fantastically crazy MacGuffins since day one with this character. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's like, like we've never been normal, you know? Um, and the only thing normal was probably the young Indian of young Indian Jones Chronicles. Where, I would yeah, say every, no, because I, I, was, crazy too. I was watching. Yeah. I was watching a, I'm going to give full credit here. Cause I don't want to steal an idea, but, yeah. I was watching a podcast called, uh, it's called uh, Mr. Sunday Movies uh, okay. in Australia. They're really good. Uh, they were breaking down all the films. And, and one of the things they broke down was that, like, you know, people got mad about the nuke, the nuke in the fridge thing. from. Oh, Christmas yeah. School. And this podcast brought it up. They were like, oh, wait a minute. In Temple of Doom, they escape uh-huh. a crashing plane by yeah. jumping out of a plane with an inflatable boat. In yeah. which they land without dying on like a mountain, and then uh-huh. then slide into a into the ocean, you know, yeah. like or into the river. Uh, you know, you've got you know testing the, the whole the whole theory yeah. of of Indiana Jones being the skeptic, even though he's seen so much shit. I mean, yeah. you've got this knight who's been living in this cave. For, oh no. You know, a million years. You've got you know uh, people tearing hearts out and yeah. <laughs> And then, and then we're dabbling with Dial of Destiny. We're dabbling with time travel. It, it's so I think I think more of my answer to this, you know, line of theory and thesis is is Raiders, I think, had the right. I mean, Demon Angels and all had just just a, just a I don't want to say a dash because they're melting fucking faces and shit. But like they tossed it in there as, as that big hitter at the end a little bit. But and they and they built it up with so much myth and myst- mysticism and the way they they built up to it with the story of the only way. But like what helped I feel like what helped Raiders of the Lost Ark succeed where others have failed since it, including their own movies, is we're still doing it very, very practically all the way up until the end. Where yeah. it's not not every goddamn thing is faker and faker and faker as you go. Um and and that's and yeah, like by the time we're doing a minecart chase in Temple of Doom that seems to go on like the 25 mile runway in Fast and Furious. And and then by the time Yeah, but it's then, all practical though. It's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is practical. And like Last Crusade stays reasonably practical, but the MacGuffin gets a little bigger because now we're talking about the cup of fucking Christ. So each <laughs> MacGuffin gets a little crazier as we go. And then King of the Crystal Skull, yeah, the 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 just the the sense is out of the bag because we're on CGI ants. We're swinging through the fucking woods with monkeys oh, and shit. It just, it just gets really like if if the only weird thing in that movie that went a little far with the CGI or just went a little far in the fantastical was the crystal skull at the end, we'd probably be okay with it. But well, because so yeah. many fantastical things and improbable fast and furious, like, like you're talking about un- unsurvivable bullshit happens that yeah. it just gets dumber and dumber as it goes. Now it's still true, fun. True. And Donald Destiny's, I'm going to warn you right now, it's going to go there a little bit. We're like, oh my gosh, no, this is not physically possible. But but at the same time, we have to go like, hey, but we're still talking about a place where the Ark of the Covenant exists, where the Chalice of Christ exists. And now we're going to talk about time travel. Like, like, if they, I'll say it again, like if they would have reserved it for the end, it wouldn't feel as inundating. Well, yeah. on. I do want and to Raiders, on- Raiders doesn't pile on a bit. The end, the end is the big craziness of it all, but it, it feels like you built it properly without everything else, you know? Well, I do want to get a little deep on that in a second about okay. the ending, but I will say, I will say that maybe what you can read into it is because Indiana Jones and Marion closed their eyes. Yeah, you know, they don't it. Uh-huh. and maybe because everyone who does die is a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer, okay. maybe it's like it's attacking the the evil at heart, whereas oh, he's sure. the hero. So maybe you yeah. could read it oh, like I, that. But I'm sure there's I, psychological messages that have been attempted a thousand ways in all five of these movies. For sure, I, I'm just curious, and I'm not a religious scholar. Or anything. Sure. I mean, I went. I went to Catholic schools my whole life and whatever, but I'm not by any means an expert. But I do know that you know Steven Spielberg comes from a very strong Jewish background. Very much. Um, so. And if I'm correct, the where Catholicism and Judaism separate is in the books, right? Like Judaism doesn't have the New Testament; it just has the Old Testament, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jesus so the, was just. A really like, hey, pretty good little prophet, but he's not the guy, you know. But but I've I've read the Old Testament, and if okay. that's the basis of your religion, I can understand Ooh. why this Dark is so head. harsh because the Old yeah. Testament is very, it's this brutal. It's, it's very up violent. Up God and get dealt with, yeah. Because I, I was just curious because as a as a man of Jewish faith, I don't know how deep he is into his religion. It seems to be very uh-huh. important to him, obviously, with his take on. Things like uh, you know Schindler's List and yeah. and, uh, and Munich and things like that, yeah, but uh, and the Fablemans, yeah. But you know there is some very Old Testament. I mean, because even in even in um, Last Crusade, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, when I can't remember the guy's name, you know, he decides to pick the most glamorous, rich looking oh, yeah. cup. I mean, like it's not just that he chose poorly. But he, uh-huh. he fucking like just gets disintegrated oh, yeah. for choosing yeah. poorly. There's like a brutality to it yeah. that I find very interesting. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a religious angle to it or not, but I just I, I'm curious what you think about that because it, there yeah. are some very harsh consequences to and this doesn't apply just to um Catholics and Jews. I mean, obviously with Temple of Doom, there's a lot of heavy concepts about uh, human sacrifices and voodoo and it oh, doesn't yeah. end well for those people either. Oh, so 
It, it seems no, like I religion think, um, in general is very like religion in general is like if you don't do this the right way, you're gonna get fucked up. I I think more religions than not go go that hard when followed to the letter of the law. I think we've softened mm-hmm. an awful lot in in the last millennia when it comes to like, hey, Jesus is a friendly person versus no, 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 life, death, nothing else in between, like service to God only, like right. I, we. Like letter of the law says we need to go hard because God goes hard in return. We've got turned into, and now look where we're like, I hate to say it. Look where Christianity is now where we're on fucking telethons and doing, you know, really self-serving bullshit. So course, um, yeah. it, it's like letter of the law, hardcore stuff is just not there. And even the whole new Testament, like more the hopeful romantic side of it. Like, I don't mean romantic in the, you know what I mean by like the softer, grander, prettier oh, sure. side of Christianity. Um, even that has been disillusioned to pieces by what people think Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? All the damn bracelets and all the damn things <laughs> that have been politicized a thousand ways since then. And that, and how very simple reads make a lot of the things that so-called Christians do now, just not on par with what the book says, let alone if you go all the way back to old Testament. So no, I think, yeah. um, and I think the movie tiptoes on that. However, it does because like they're, you got a you got a half and half situation where, at the end of the at the end of the quest with the MacGuffin, you have the this brutality of of mysticism slash faith slash spirit slash religion whatever. But along the way, you still have archaeological brutality of like yes, you know like uh, this like I said the 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 pits and you know, the pitfalls in Brazil, um that gauntlet you got to go through to get to the ark of the to to get to the Holy Grail. Like you're fucking beheading dudes and dropping them off cliffs and shit. So, um <laughs> yeah. like somewhere someone's got a gleeful edge of things before you get to the God part of like hey and by the way once you get here you still could get fucked over by God. So. It's that's the cool part about these movies where they, they have a bit of both. You have human brutality and then you've got some spiritual brutality and it's a weird and maybe that Spielberg going like, hey, I'm going to play with this, push all of our buttons and make it its own peril. I'm curious. But you're right. How a Jewish guy gets to there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Especially with two very Christian pieces of things in two of the five movies yeah. here. Well, yeah. And I and at all. Just in case, you know, there's some people out there going like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? I'll, I'll yeah, back I know. Up. I'll, back, uh, I'll uh, back up a little bit. Like, but like the movie says, I'm I'm probably failing my Sunday school lesson right now. But yeah. <laughs> but I'll back up a little bit. But I, I would say that I think I think what you're mentioning right now in the first three Indiana Jones films is kind of what's missing in Crystal Skull and probably what you're saying is missing in Dial of Destiny, though I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, so Crystal Skull... I, to defend it a little bit, the, the, okay. the beginning of the movie, I would say from the the opening sequence to the nuke nuke in the fridge thing, <laughs> yeah, um, does a really good job of kind of establishing that fifties era sure. flying saucer yeah. paranoia thing. And and the problem is, is they go away from it so much that by the time yeah. you do get to the UFO flying saucer. Uh-huh. It just seems stupid. Guess if what happens? Had, that's what happens when you get to the sixties and the new one. Okay, well, so that's what I was worried about. But yeah. well established, but we jump away in a hurry. Okay, because what I was, what I like about these is each one has its kind of own theme and feel to it. All three of them uh-huh. do. Um, and like you said, this one, like Steven Spielberg even said, this one kind of has that B movie ad- action adventure. The mm-hmm. second one has that kind of 
Um, and I'm saying this as a historical term, not something I'm saying, but like, yeah. you know, back in the twenties and thirties, there was a lot of movies about the quote unquote dark jungle, you know, the oh, thing about, totally. you know, it, yeah. the, about the, mis- the mystery of the exotic oh, jungle yeah. of it's different your, cultures. It's and, your, it's your Kipling and Burroughs movie, you know, exactly. it, it's yeah. your jungle movie. Yeah. Call it that. Yeah, it's right. true. And, it's and true. the third, the third one has, I would say is, I, I'm not gonna say it's a mystery, but. It, it, it's, it's kind the, of it's the straightest story, despite the. It's definitely the straightest, but it, yeah. it has kind of a. I would say it's more because that one's closer to. Well, we're in the forties now. You're making a World War II movie. That yeah, just so it's more of a adventure. World War II movie. Yeah, I think that yeah, with with this one and probably with the new one, if you, if I'm catching your drift with it, yeah. yeah, they do kind of lose the focus of why. Why like, now? Why, why these then? movies are yeah. a success because they. They don't try to reinvent the wheel. I, I, I yeah. just think that I think that Crystal Skull just goes in so many different directions. Yeah, and starts out so strong and ends. I, it's, to me, I don't mind the UFO because, but I, huh. I don't like what it's the fifties. I get it too. I, but... I don't like what built up to it. Like, yeah, I would have liked to have seen something like more of like a Area Fifty One thing the whole time. Yes, or something where like you stay domestic you know, and still tell this story, and even right. and, yeah. you'll see it in the new one. Like you, you've got a great. 60s era brooklyn post apollo 11 ticker tape parade present day that you can have a lot of fun with kennedys and conspiracies you don't have to go all the way to greece and tunisia and tangiers and like you don't have to globe trot as hard as you think you need to go well, to well and and i'll end on this because we're running out of time but yeah do, do you think this is the I mean, the legend has it that you know steven spielberg always wanted to direct a bond film and mm. he loves James Bond. There's lots of James Bond elements. Is this the American? Is this the American James Bond series? You mean the series in, entirely? I, no, well, I mean this film. This film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Would you say Raiders of the Lost Ark is a Bond film, but an no. American, an American no. James Bond? No, I think um, I think we're we're as dirty as the British when it comes to spies. Where. You're you got Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise down the road where um that's okay. or you have Jason Bourne. Um where the spy game I think is what makes those is what makes James Bond James Bond. Where this is your this is our I'll say this is our American Robin Hood. You know, American this is your Robin Hood. okay. This is your well, he's a teacher. He it belongs in a museum. Yep. He's your swashbuckling man of the people. Um he's yep. your King Arthur, he's your American King Arthur. Um he's okay. more that than he is nefarious take down government spy stuff despite the third movie really going after the nazis so yeah i i can't go all the way to bond no okay because you know the legend has it you know like i said uh spielberg wanted to do it he couldn't do it because he wasn't british yeah you know, george george lucas was kind of always like well this could be a kind of bond thing like it could be our kind of bond yeah i i when i watch raiders not so much temple or last crusade but when i watch raiders i do kind of get this 80s bond vibe to it. not with the cheesiness but like i get no no like, no but when he loved me kind of feel yeah, you know like yeah. when the dinner jacket's on and the fedora's off you're, he he dabbles yeah he dabbles well, and they obviously in temple of doom the opening sequence is very much a bond tribute oh, yeah. you know he's got the white yeah. tuxedo and if it's not know, that it's a bogart tribute which is kind of the fedora as well yep, so that's yeah. true that's true. but it's you know i i was just curious what your thoughts are on that because i yeah. kind of middle i kind of whiff waffle between it. thinking that you know yeah. like because i remember we've always been kind of looking for our bond. You know, I think James Cameron tried to make the American bond with true lies. You See, know, that's, 
you know, if you're the, you would need American excesses. And I don't know if archaeology, archaeology is the place you're going to find <laughs> pure so. American excess. I think that's why it's Ethan Hunt. And uh, yeah. And especially okay. the way that that movie has grown its legacy. It's Ethan Hunt. All right, fair enough. Fair or it's enough. Fast right. and the Furious. I don't want to say that uh, either. Well, you know, I mean, those could be the Roger Moore or even later Pierce Brosnan era Bonds. Good, you good know, call. Where it's, where it's very, right. yeah. it's very excess. I mean, you know, I, I think instantly when I see some of these Fast and the Furious scenes, I think of, you know, uh, Pierce Brosnan windsurfing, you know, oh my on gosh. a good point. tsunami yeah. wave or whatever the fuck. Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, yeah. I've got. Uh, I want you guys to. Well, first, I'm going to say uh, we have merch now. Um, we've got shirts, stickers. Find your sweet, sweet cinephile hissy fit swag on everymoviehaslesson.com and its T Republic storefront. Mm-hmm. Um, not only will you find every movie has a lesson, you'll find cinephile hissy fit. But also, why don't you tell everybody about your really cool. I know it's local, so there's like people sure. listening in, like yeah. you know, like uh, like Colombia that can't do this. But right, good, good luck walking here, Phoenix. Um, no, yeah tell, um, us, yeah, tell us what you did. So um, there's a thing. There's kind of a national movement for people who are kind of um, uh, taking old newspaper boxes or old little libraries and kind of um, uh, retrofitting them to be like leave a movie, take a movie, the same way you do the little libraries with leave a book, take a book. So um, there's this. Uh, you can look it up online. It's called freeblockbuster.org, and you can kind of cre- create a quote-unquote franchise and register it with them and get the stencils and all that. Where I've created a um, the Chicago's fourth, uh, Chicago Land's fourth. Um, free, uh, yeah, freeblockbuster.org box where I took a retired little library here in my town, uh, painted it up, stenciled it up, and I'm straight up just giving movies to the people. I have. I have more DVDs I know what to do with and people have donated like crazy. Thank you to those who folks who have where, yeah, just like your little libraries where you walk by on a cute little street and you're like, Oh, I'm thinking of a movie tonight. Well, let's go look at the box. And, uh, yeah, so we're, I've made, um, uh, on the T public front a little bit. It's, uh, yeah, we have the free blockbuster and wood park edition shirts that are out there now. So it's, it's a fun nice. little thing being well embraced by my community. That's for sure. Well, maybe we can get a movement going where people can do that. In the name of, you know, uh, every movie has a lesson in Cinefile. Sure. We could, we could start a free blockbuster across the nation. Now we're talking. Um, yeah. But uh, that's really cool. I love that. Um, so I want you to follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit, on Facebook at Cinephile His Fit Podcast, and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find both of us by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25YL Media. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.